Shri Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai Shri Varaha Dwarasi ki jai Gaur Bhaktivrinda ki jai Gaur Premanande Today is the Brahadvarasi. Twelfth day of the waxing moon. Tomorrow, of course, is the Nityananda Trayodasi, the thirteenth day. And we have our festival in the morning. Class will be at 10.30. Broadcast to Aldoria at the same time. This evening we'll speak a little bit about the Varaha Avatar. And uh, Bhagavatam discusses this avatar at some length in later cantos. I believe the third canto. And um, curiously, it doesn't appear to discuss him directly in the list of incarnations that are given in the third canto, in answer to the sages' questions about the avatars of Krishna. It's one of the six questions of the Bhagavatam, and the avatar tattva, of course, is one of the subjects, the primary subject. There are ten subjects of Srimad Bhagavatam, nine of which are considered to be principles that are sheltered under the tenth, which is the shelter giving or providing um, Subject that, of course, is Sri Krishna. The others are all things that are sheltered under Him. Avatars being uh, one of them, the creation, the secondary creation, the annihilation, all these these things, which serves to say that Krishna is very extraordinary. And these things are dealt with largely in the first nine cantos to help us understand the Lord's lila, the lila of Swami Bhagavan Sri Krishna, so human-like, so madhurya, so sweet. Um, as it's depicted in the tenth canto, help us to understand it in perspective. In other words, here he is, could be an ordinary boy engaged in running off with a, with young ladies, but the avatar, tattva, is under him, the creation is under him, the, the annihilation, the sustenance of the devotees, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So, and of course, with regard to avatar, tattva, this is a very nice point, the fact that the avatars of Bhagavan Sri Krishna are one of the sheltered principles, and that Krishna is the shelter-giving, is another powerful way in which the Bhagavatam uh, amplifies the point that uh, Jiva Goswami considered the key to understanding the tattva of Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the Paribhash Shloka, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. It's not even a whole verse, but one 
Pada, one line. And uh, he makes a whole Sandarbha out of it, explaining it. This is very central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. As I like to say, Prabhupada repeated that Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam over and over and over and over again in his books when he writes in English, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It would seem from a literary point of view to be the subject to the fault of um, repetitiveness. But he's repeating the key, the Paribhash Shloka of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It has some power to it. Hmm? And uh, so, although Abraha is not listed here in the first list, there's a, there's several chapters of the Bhagavatam, I believe, it must be third or fourth canto, that uh, his story is given in some detail. And of course, he's discussed in other Puranas, even in the Taittiriya Samhita. Um numerous places in the sacred texts from different uh, angles of vision. Of course, the Bhagavatam speaks about it from the angle of vision that's most important to us. And it makes the point also that the avatars are without number. Asankhya, after the list here in the first canto, the various avatars Sutta Goswami says, but actually they're unlimited. Hmm? Prahlad made a similar statement in the seventh canto. And the Das Avatar Stotram of Jaidev, for example, listing of ten avatars, and the other lists of the ten avatars that are similar to his, also um, seek to make uh, this point that... Uh, the avatars are unlimited. The idea, the principle of the avatar, the avatar tattva, uh, the concept behind this, the implications behind this. So this is what's most um, important. Hmm? That avatar tattva is discussed in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. And we know, might note that there, for the first time in the Gita, Krishna veers off into bhakti tattva shortly, just briefly. The main... Um, Emphasis on bhakti comes in the middle six chapters, but in the fourth chapter, at the very beginning, he, 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 in the context of speaking to Arjuna about previous lives or yours we've had are different from mine, and so you forget them, I remember them, and so forth. He goes into a, a brief but very insightful um, discussion of avatar tattva, and he confides in Arjuna that you can know these things bhaktosi me sakacheti rahasya hi etod uttamam. They're secret things. And I tell them to you because because you are my devotee, my friends. The first place he speaks directly about his devotees, his relationship with them, and ostensibly about bhakti. Hmm? And, of course, the chapter is about knowledge, so then he shifts gears and goes into a dissertation on jnana yoga in his kind of yoga ladder, if you will, of and yoga psychology of the first six chapters that leads up to and culminates in bhakti yoga. So, with bhakti we need Bhagavan and we need the bhakta. So, avatar tattva. <sighs> Big subject. And the idea behind it is that the Godhead 
has an emotional life. Reality has an emotional life. And as we do. Hmm? And so we put on a different dress, so to speak, at different times under the influence of or in the context of expressing different emotions in relation to people and things and places and so on and so forth. So it is with the ultimate reality. If we're a unit of, of, of realness, a reality, as Shankar would say, well, he wouldn't say that. <laughs> but if his consciousness is a unit of, is, is, is ultimate reality, we would say we're a unit of that. And we are having an emotional life because we have that, that is, that is the, that is the really ananda capacity or aspect of the self. While the material emotions are problematic, we toss and turn in the ocean of them, we want to come to some steadiness so that the stomach will settle. Hmm? We won't be seasick and have some firm ground to stand on and so forth. At the same time, we want to enter into the ocean of bhakti rasa, which is full of ups and downs. She loves me, she loves me not. This is Krishna's life. She loves me, she loves me not. Hmm? Union and separation. Sambhog and Vipralamba, like the river winding and has the two banks and the current moves from one side to the other. Hmm? So, an animated ultimate reality, not a static one. Really, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the ultimate reality, the Godhead, Brahman, is static and dynamic at once. The idea of Shankar, for example, is that it's static, still. And that stillness is beautiful because the movement of the material world and the ups and downs of the world of material emotions really does give one an upset stomach, like the sea. Uh, one can't get their feet on the ground, and uh, and uh, one feels insecure, and so on and so forth. Um, so the stillness, the static idea of reality in Shankar's um, worldview has much positive value in comparison to the movement of material life. But the dynamism or the movement within this, the, the static nature of Brahman that is Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the Beda Bed, hmm, is a kind of movement that arises, a dynamism that arises out of the uh, uh, attaining the static state, the peaceful state, the calm state, the, the, the fullness. In other words, there's a there's an emptiness that causes us to move in material life because we are identified with material nature. Hmm? And it's empty. Hmm? It appears to have something by way of packaging, but when you open it up, there's, there's nothing there. It's never a full meal. Only an appetizer, a carrot, waving in front of us and we're moving accordingly. That movement is tiresome. So to come to a rest and become full. Hmm? But then to be so full that one moves out of fullness. This is, of course, Leela. So this is the Beda Bed. This is the dynamic 
kind of dyna- dynamic and static at the same time nature of reality. And this is the idea of Leela, very different from the movement of karma. And so the Leela speaks to us about the, again, the dynamic nature of the Absolute and the emotional life of the Absolute. We have some experience of emotional life as human beings. And so it's very different than the emotional life of the Absolute, but there are some, enough similarities that helps us to talk about it and get some idea about it. Hmm? Um, just like the sun. The sun, it looks to us like it's probably kind of static, it, you know, just a big ball of fire and so forth. But actually, if we got close to the sun, if we were to go inside the sun, what we would find there are nuclear reactions explosions going on constantly in there. So we reason that from a distance, which uh, the absolute may look static or even not that interesting (laughs) to us, even while we derive energy from it that is necessary to conduct ourselves in this life. Um, But if we, by good fortune, were to come close to it, and find out that not only is that sun in many respects sustaining us, but actually we're a particle of sun. In relation to matter that we've identified with, and thus we feel, in, in relation to which we feel a need of sustenance, because as soon as we grab onto it, it starts to disappear from our hands and so forth. As we move closer to the absolute, we find I'm a unit of that. I'm a ray of that. I'm a sustaining principle. Krishna says it in the Gita. What does he say? Jiva Bhuta Mahayedam Dharyate Jagat Bhumirapu Analobayu Kam Anobhudurevacha Hangarityam Maybe Naprakujarashtada. Here's the material nature the world of things, and apareyam itastvanyam prakritim vidime param jivabhuta mahabhaho yairam dayatejagat. There's another energy, he says, is the jiv shakti. And it is sustaining that other world that I talked about, made up of solidity, liquidity, movement, bhumir, apo, analu, vayu, fire, heat, and so on and so forth. That world is sustained by the jivas. We're a sustainer in relation to matter. And in relation to the sun, we're a unit of that, and in that sense, dependent on it. But as we get closer even still to the sun, we're coming closer by identifying ourselves as a ray of it rather than as part of material nature. Hmm? As we get even closer to it, which is what Bhakti is about, we find, oh, that inside of the sun there are nuclear explosions going on. It has a life. Hmm? It's extraordinary. Unless you become sun-like, you cannot take that. The only extent to which we can actually become hmm? sun-like, sun-ray-like, we spiritualize our our lives. We come in touch with the nature of consciousness that we are. Hmm? 
then it would be difficult to understand Vraha Avatar or any other such discussion of uh, Lilakata, Harikata, Avatar, Tattva, and so forth. Hmm? So we try to explain it in a way that can help us to go in that direction, but we have to go practically in that direction. We have to become of that nature. This is the subjective world and the possibilities that lie there. Again, it's like the sun. Inside the sun, there are nuclear explosions. They would be problems for us if we were there in this human dress. But if we were there as a particle of sun, a ray of sun, hmm, we could understand it better. We could resonate with it. Hmm? I'm a ray, a particle, ray of sun, and the sun, is, I'm, I'm part of that explosion, really. Hmm? I'm part of that explosion. So the more I become part, the more I can understand it. Hmm? Sun has a life. Hmm? So Bhagwan has a life. And these avatars uh, means crossing from avatara, from up tara to down. Crossing. Avatara, crossing down hmm? from up. So this explosion of the emotional life of the Absolute making its appearance in this world, difficult to understand. Hmm? given the predicament of material existence that the jivas are implicated in and so forth and so on. Of course, he comes for those who are coming out of that by bhakti. They can come to understand. They can come to appreciate. What is lila? What is avatar? What is the emotional life of the Absolute? The very idea that God has an emotional life is very theologically somewhat um, revolutionary. It's not the ordinary fair. Hmm? Well, I've told the story before. Of, uh, I met a fellow once in the Denver airport, and I offered him this very book, Srimad Bhagavatam. He said, I don't need your book. It's a religious book, right? I said, yes. He said, in my religion, we know about the social life of God. So what am I to learn from your book? It was a beautiful point, I thought, hmm, to make. That's pretty deep. You know about the social life of God? God has a social life? I mean, how many people think about it like that, right? We think of our own social life and how important it is and so forth, but the idea that God would have one, we think of God in relation to our social life and how he'll facilitate it. <laughs> uh, and that's about all his purpose is, all the room we have for him. When Bon Maharaj was preaching in England, um, and I, I think he went to Germany, and they invited him to a theistic drama. And so in the drama, um, God was in the balcony, and every now and then his role in the drama was to come out and say, I bless you, and we'd go back in, I condemn you, or something like that. You know, He would weigh in judgmentally on what was going on on the main stage hmm? down below. And so I asked afterwards what he thought of it. He said, it's very nice, but in our religion, God's on the main stage. We don't keep him up in the balcony. <laughs> so we want to enter into his social life. So I told the fellow, very nice idea. And tell me, please, what do you, what do you know about the social life of God? Then he said, God had a son and sent him to the world. And so on. And I said, you need the book. 
after all, as it turns out. He has many sons. He has brothers. He has a sister. He has girlfriends. The mother. He's got a really big social life. And that's what this book is about. I was able to convince him to explore the social life, the emotional life of God. Hmm? So it's not you know, the common uh, fare, if you will, for religious discussion. Hmm? This is the super excellence of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This is where it excels. This is where it leaves even Gyan and Vairagya behind. Gyan and Vairagya are not even limbs of Bhakti, as we've discussed. Janayatiyashu Vairagyam Gyanam Chairahoitukam Vasudevi Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Priyajitaha So what is Bhakti? To be preoccupied with that is to be interested in something that Bhagwan is fully interested in. That gets him interested in you in a way that you could not by any other means, which are all about, to one extent or another, getting something from him. I want food from him. I want knowledge from him that I might live eternally. I want the power to detach myself, which comes commit concomitant to knowledge for material things which are causing me trouble. This is all me-centered. Bhakti is all Bhagwan-centered, for Bhagwan only. So that interests him, understandably. And so he shares his social life. He opens the doors to that, lets us enter into it for that matter. So Avatar Tattva, then, it, uh, it is... Um, the instances in which, in the context of the emotional life of God, the exploding of his, he has an emotion, a feeling, and it becomes manifest. He's satisankalpa, so whatever he desires to do, it happens. Imagine if you thought, oh, I'd like to be a king, and you became a king. Hmm? <laughs> and there was a kingdom, and everything was in place, and so forth. I'd like to become a genius, and you become a genius. And you're still yourself. <laughs> At the same time, so this is this is God. So whatever He wants, it is. He is this Kama beach. There's desire there. Kama has its place. So bhakti is about approaching, trying to enter into that. So He has a desire, and His desire, of course, is in relation to His devotees who have come under his Swarup Shakti. So it's not really outside of himself, because his Swarup Shakti is not outside of himself. And the avatars, or he descends, crosses down into the world for their sake. This is the idea. And Vraha is no exception to the matter. Leela Vraha begins in Vaikuntha itself. And the desire of Narayan to taste Bira Rasa. Virarasa is the rasa of chivalry. There's Yudavira, Dhanavira, Dharmavira. Chivalrous uh, for dharmic purposes, for giving in charity, just, just for the sake of fighting, Yudavira. Uh, uh, so Narayan, at some point in his emotional life, this desire arises. And see how it works. All things come to facilitate that. Knock, knock. Four Kumaras. Who is it? Chatusan Kumar. What do you mean, who is it? Why is there a door here? Hmm? 
we're able to go everywhere. We don't see yours and mine. Hmm? We don't see like that. We don't see any separation. We don't see boundaries. We don't see countries like that. That won't that won't help you in a court case. But um, anyway, that's the long story. I won't go into that. But um, this was their vision. They were Gyanis. They knew that these separations based on the senses, these differences, what is it? They could tolerate appearing as young, naked boys. The, the happiness, the sads, the hearts, the cold, they saw no differences between them. Your country, my country, your mine, yours and mine. No, they didn't see like So when they knock on the door, I went, what's this door doing here? Hmm? We should, we, it's, it implies some sense of ownership, proprietorship, separation, difference, and so forth. Knock, knock, and, and you can't come in, was the reply from Jai and Vijay. Hmm. Jai Vijay. This is the like the seventh. Was it? Uh, is the first gate? The first gate of seven. Adu Shraddha Tata Sadhu Sangha Shraddha Sadhu Sangha Bhajana Kriya Anartana Bhitti Nishta Ruchi One Two Three Four Five Asakti. And then you're into the door. You're inside by Kuntha, Bhava. Hmm? And praying. Seven gates. You're at the front gate only. And they weren't allowed in. Hmm? So they cursed the doorkeepers. But they didn't know that they themselves were only instruments moving by the will of the Lord for his own purposes. And what is that? The desire to taste Birasa came in him. Why? There's no reason for that. Hmm? It's his emotional life. He just felt like it. <laughs> I felt, I feel like fighting. <laughs> Who will I fight with? <laughs> and Rasa, of course, is, we aren't going to stand from Bhakti Rasa and Bhakti Sindhu that Anukulena Krishna Anushilanam. It must be favorable. So you can't taste Vira Rasa with some demon. So we have to fight with his devotees, but that's not something that is uh, standard by behavior for Vaikuntha. The Das, Dasya Bhakti to Narayan. Hmm? So, feeling this, he brought the Kumaras, inspired Jaini Jai not to let them in and so forth, and then, then he went out and Apologized. This is Leela. You want to apologize to them? Hmm? They cursed Jai Jai. He kept the curse intact. The Kumars were smart, so they could understand. When Narayan said, I have offended you, they thought, hmm, all these people. He says, I have offended. He didn't offend us. Jai Jai offended us. But he's saying, Jai Jai and I are one. They thought, uh-oh, we've made a big mistake here. This is a new kind of oneness. This is a different kind of oneness. 
This is the Veda Ved ones. The devotee and the Lord are one and different. Hmm? So they realized they had they had come into new territory here. Hmm? They'd come into a land where a bias has its place. They were unbiased. They were jnanis. Hmm? This is thought to be the ideal in the world. You know, the politician should be unbiased, detached, not bought and paid for by anybody. Fair, objective, and so forth. Uh, but they came into a land where there was a bias and it had its place. There are Ram Bhaktas. There are not Ayana Bhaktas. There are Krishna Bhaktas. These are these are biases, prejudices, if you will. Uh, love is a bias in its full expression. So they understood this and they were humbled by that. Narayan kept their curse in place because he had his own purposes. So the Jai and Vijay were cursed to take birth three times as demons, and the first birth was Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu, the two brothers. This is the idea. Hiranyaksha means like golden eyes. He had gold in his eyes. He wanted, he wanted things that glitter, and. Uh, Entered the world to take the take the glitter out of the world, cause an imbalance, and the world suffers as a result of of such. But the Lord loves the world. We find out in the Varaha Avatar. The Lord loves the world. It's a very beautiful leela, in which what the, the philosophical implication is that Bhagwan Earth is very dear to Bhagwan. He saves the earth. He brings it on his tusk. He he carries Bhumi on his hip. Bhumi is the earth personified. He marries Bhumi, Budevi. He marries Budevi, and a son is born. Naraka, Naraka, Sura. So much for those bloodlines that are supposed to be always pure. And Asura was born. It's an interesting story. We'll, we'll go on with that. But the point here is he loved the earth. He's the protector of the earth. This is the Leela in which Bhagavan expresses his affection for Bhumi. And this is the Leela in which Bhagavan is, is coming out of the water to the earth. Hmm? He's embracing the earth element, solidity. He's coming out of the water. There's there's Matsya, there's Kurma, there's Braha in the Das Avatar Stotram. Hmm? First there's the the, 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 the um, what is it, the fish, and then the reptile, the tortoise. It's kind of in the water and out, a little of both, right? And then there's the Baraha, he's on the land, the mammal. And it's, it's a nice idea that, 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 that the sages have given us, the Bhagavatam has given us, the texts have given us. Why the pig? It's a pig, you know, the boar. Well, a couple of reasons. It's one of the most intelligent animals, actually. 
And also, he, 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 they eat in such a way that's what they call pigs. They can they can eat like humans. They have certain kind of teeth that they can eat and then swallow, and they don't have to regurgitate, chew it again, like cows and other. Just take it on in. So there's so there's so, so <laughs> it's the kind of the pre, it's, it implies implies a kind of the precursor to human life as well amongst. So the beast, of course, the beast Braha, the Mammal, not not the mammal, but the well, he's a mammal, but he's a he's a earthbound, hmm? landbound. Uh, from there we have the um, Atsya, we have Nasringha, um, uh, Narasingha, half man, half lion, kind of the half man, half beast, kind of the Neanderthal idea. And from there comes Vamana, the small man. <laughs> it is thought, even amongst the evolutionists, the first men were smaller than the beast. Small man, the dwarf. And then comes Brigupati, this uh, Parasharam, the uncivilized man. And Ram, then, the civilized man. And then, depends where you're getting the Das Avatar from Ram, Balaram, or Krishna, means man in mysticism. Hmm? Not just Ram was the perfect, civilized, dharmic man. He was dharmically correct. Krishna was transcending the dharma and Balaram. Hmm? And mystical, other, some otherworldliness to them. Hmm? Mysticism. Mystic man, then the atheist, the Buddha, then the Kalki. Take it all down, something like that. There's different ways to think about it. But this obvious parallel here with evolutionary theory of, of modern man. Spinoza, the great Italian philosopher, is it Italian or Spanish? I think he was Italian. A glass blower, I think he was. Um, and became a philosopher, pan-entheist, if you study him carefully. He said the Hindus were evolutionists long before Darwin. A case could be made for that, of course. It's not the same evolutionary theory exactly, by any means. It's a consciousness-driven evolution. Consciousness is on top, and it's driving the world. And when the soul needs eyes, the eyes manifest. When the soul needs the... Ears to hear, the ears are manifest, and the world is described like this, unfolding in the Bhagavatam, consciousness-driven. But there's an idea that the self moves through all these different species of life. It's mentioned in the Purana, Jalaja Navalakshani, Stabralakshavimshati, Kremayurjasankyakya. So moving from the water and upwards and so forth through different forms of life, human life. There are evolutionary kind of sensibilities that we find in the Bhagavatam, Bhagavad religion, the Hindu religion, that we don't find in any other religious tradition. Hmm? It means to say, like, Darwin got it wrong, not quite right. He got some good ideas, but he got something wrong. Of course, Darwin doesn't say, or evolutionary theory today doesn't say that um, much about consciousness. Hmm? Um, but people extend upon that as if it is 
part of the doctrine of Darwinism that consciousness is is um, evolves out of matter. I don't think it says that in, in, implicitly, but it does say that one species comes out of another. Hmm? And I suppose we could say from the Bhagavad religion, one religion, one species comes, then another. Hmm? Whether they exactly come out of another, who knows? Darwin's theory can never be proved. It can never be proved, for that matter. Um, but anyway, there's some some correspondence, some idea that long, as I've said before, long periods of time, and there's movement beginning in the primal way. There's a development and so forth. And human life is the culmination of that, self-consciousness and so on. So we see this in the description of the, the Das avatars. We see this um, idea of um, uh, unfolding. So it's uncanny, it's, it's, or it's at least interesting, how these rishis would, would, would poetically and based on some type of internal yogic experience, describe the world in a way that has, from a religious point of view at least, more correspondence with modern scientific findings than any other religious tradition that uh, I'm aware of. It's the unique, one of the unique features of uh, Hinduism. So, anyway, Varahavatar. God loves the earth is one of the things we learn from that. Hmm? He likes to fight sometimes. Hmm? We learn that. He has to do it with his devotees. So with Aranyaksha. And coming from out of the water, saving the earth, brings the earth next to his bosom and so forth and so on. Hmm? He takes this Braha uh, uh, form. It's a, a very uh, kind of an unbecoming form, the, the boar's form. Hmm? If we go to, from general principles, like we're speaking about, the Leela, in relation to, from there to Gaur Leela, we find an interesting instance in which Mahaprabhu manifests the Bohr avatar before Marari, came into Marari's house, looked at Marari and said, Bohr, 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 Baraha. And he assumed the form of the Baraha. And now Marari is trembling, he said, offer prayers to me. I'm giving darshan. Hmm? And he didn't know what to say, Murari. Hmm? And he, he said, you're, you're incredible. What can I say? <laughs> and then Mahaprabhu in the form of Bara said, and there's a guy in Varanasi. Hmm? And he says, I have no ears. I have no eyes. I have no... No tongue, I have no form. Mayavad philosophy of Prakashananda Saraswati, he said, this is a vilification of me. He said, I'm niraka, no form. Means, he's saying, I have no eyes, I have no, I'm blind, he says. He calls me blind, deaf, and dumb. What kind of glorification of my form is that? See my form. Even as a pig, I'm beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> he showed the Varaha form and said, see the beauty of my form. Hmm? When, I, when I want to be a pig, I'm beautiful. How's that? Hmm? Then he says, I'm deaf, I'm dumb and blind, and he calls that knowledge. Something must be done about that. Glorify my form. <laughs> Something like this. Hmm? 
In Navadweep, there are nine islands. One of them is Kolodweep. Kola means boar. This is the island of the boar. Kolodweep. And uh, it's there that uh, Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj established his moth in Kolodweep. There are also Keshav Maharaj, the Devananda Gaudiamath, Chaitanya Saraswat Mat and Devananda Gaudiamath, next door neighbors. Keshav Maharaj helped Sridhar Maharaj to get that land, make it possible for him to do his bhajan there. Hmm? Kolodweep, uh, that is Gupta Govardhan, that is considered to be in. If you look carefully at Nadia there, you will see Govardhan Hill there. Hmm? Also a very earthly leela. Hmm? The glory of the, of, of the, of the earth and compared to the world of the gods of Indra is, uh, is heralded in the Govardhan leela. And how dear the earth is in humanity to, to, to Bhagwan and so forth. Hmm? How, he, how he personally protects them, those humans who are his devotees, to the point that they can dismiss Indra. Hmm? Of course, they do it with respect because they're devotees, but this is the idea. He's holding the, the Krishna Govardhan Hill like this, and he's saying, distribute food to everybody, everybody, except for him, hmm? <laughs> that little guy up there. He's nobody. See me, who can, how, how I can maintain this is the heart of Saranagati. Krishna is my protector. Krishna is my maintainer. So, in the same way, in a similar way, Bra is maintaining the earth. The earth was said to have been plunged into the nether regions by the influence of Haranyaksha, or the person who just wants to exploit, let's say, take the gold out of the earth, take the riches for himself, and so forth. Puts her out of balance. And he doesn't like that, so he's the protector of the earth. Anyway, there in Kolodweep, an interesting story we can perhaps conclude our discussion with. Pujapad uh, Sridhar established his temple there, and it was mentioned today that isn't there something about Braha and Kolodweep and Chaitanya Saraswat Mat? And I said, yes, there is. There He has a shaligram there of Braha, and it was worshipped by two different godbrothers of Pujapad Sridhar and they were having trouble taking care of the deity. They were thinking they weren't doing it right and the Varaha was not very pleased with them and they wanted to find somebody else who could please the Shila. So they, one passed it to the other, the other passed it to Sridhar Marsh and said, you know, maybe you, you know, can please the Shila. So he thought about it and then he, he took the Shila and then he, he, he looked in the Puranas and he found the statement that this Braha really likes this sweet rice. Hmm? This is his favorite dish. So he arranged that every day there will be param anna. It's param anna means the supreme grain hmm? cooked in milk with sugar, rice, offered to Braha. He said he never had any problems from then after. Hmm? And he, every day at noon, the sweet rice is there. And if we were traveling, just as a side story, if devotees were visiting from the west and we had to travel and catch the train from Navadweep to Calcutta before being able to take lunch when it was being offered, he would make sure that Vaishnavas were served. Hmm? Braha seemed like that also. 
while the deity was eating, the devotees would be served also. Make sure they got some of that Braha sweet rice. It's very famous there. So he has his place in, uh, in, in the emotional life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also. And he represents different important um, principles that I've tried to, uh, some of which briefly I've tried to underline and give us some way of thinking about this, what might otherwise sound kind of impossible. Some big boar came out of the nostril of Brahma and picked up the earth and so forth. There's, there's philosophical, theological implications behind all this, and if we can imbibe them, as I said earlier, and actually come into the realm of the conscious, con- the subjective realm in a substantial way, identifying ourselves with that realm rather than the external objective realm of matter, then there are so many possibilities. That, that's the land where there's, where Prabhupada used to say, you know, the, uh, I think it's a quote from Napoleon, that impossible is a word in a fool's dictionary. This is a land of fools here. Hmm? Conscious entities identifying with matter, living things identifying with the dead. Hmm? So to come out from that, what is the possibility of a living thing then? We don't know. We don't know what are the possibilities of a living thing practically. We are like ice. We don't know what the possibilities of water are. So some melting is required. This preem is about melting. I'm melting. The melting. (laughs) So many possibilities. That which doesn't quite fit into our hard heart and hard head. We should use our head, as I said many times, to soften the heart. We'll have its place. And we have the the experience of the Varaha on that plane. Any questions? Yes. You indicated that you were thinking about uh, the offspring. Perhaps. Oh, yes. Narakasura, I forgot about that. Hmm? When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took the form of the boar hmm? and started criticizing the non devotee Prakasana Saraswati, the non devotional philosophy of Mayavad, hmm? he said, And you should know about me. What is my affection for my devotee? I will kill my own son if he interferes with my devotee. That's how much I love you, Morari, he said. I will kill my own son. And because if you study the Leela of Bra, then this Naraka was born and Krishna killed the Naraka Sura. <laughs> He's like, I will kill my own son for my devotee. <laughs> Such is my love for them. Transcends any other bounds, boundaries, any other reasons or causes for affection and so forth. What else? Right, smell the sense of smell is related to the earth, and Braha appeared out of the nostril of Brahma, and suddenly became huge, and Brahma went, had to offer respects. So he had the olfactory, 
Is that what it's called? Sense? Hmm? Olfactor, sense. Hmm? Related to the earth. So, Braha is a very earth deity. Hmm? Divinity coming very close to the earth. Very good environmental deity. Braha avatar. What else? Shri Varaha Avatar Ki Jai Shri Varaha Dwarasi Ki Jai Avatar Tattva Ki Jai 